0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to those who are joining us in the sanctuary and online today. Our sermon series, Trust Issues, is all about surrendering the things that get in the way of our trusting God and living instead by faith. But as we all know, that kind of trust doesn't always come easily to us because life in this broken world creates trust issues for all of us in different ways. So I'm going to share one of mine. Who here has ever been afraid to fly? I can relate to you because I had a trust issue with flying that was formed early on in my life. When I was about eight years old, a small two-person plane crashed in my neighbor's front yard, killing the pilot, who happened to be the boyfriend of my babysitter. So the very first time I ever saw an airplane up close, it was as burning wreckage after it had plummeted out of the sky. So, my earliest childhood impression of planes was that they were instruments of fiery death. So, how eager do you think I was to get on one of those? (laughs) Not very. And even though I knew that air travel is generally very safe, I also knew by experience that sometimes it wasn't. So, getting on a plane that first time took a lot of trust for me, and I spent that whole first flight with my stomach in knots, grabbing the handrest and a death grip at every sign of turbulence, and flying was kind of like torture for me, until a thought suddenly occurred to me, which I truly believe was the voice of the Holy Spirit. And that voice said to me, Angie, if this plane was in trouble right now, what could you do? And I thought, well, I can make sure my seatbelt is fastened, and I can pray, and then I realized, that's pretty much it. <laughs> that's that's all I can do. And then that Holy Spirit nudge said to me again, guess what, Angie, you've done both of those things. Your seatbelt is fastened, you're praying. So now what I think you should do is just trust me and take a nap. And so I did. <laughs> and guess what? Flying was never a problem for me after that because I had realized two things. Number one, live or die, I belong to Jesus. And number two, Flying the plane is not my job. So once I get on the plane, I have two choices. I can either trust and enjoy the view, or I can spend the time stressing over what's not in my control. And I'm absolutely free to do either one of those choices. Neither choice is going to impact the progress of the plane one little bit, but it would greatly impact the progress of my spirit. It really matters to the quality of your life right now, beloved, that you know who the master is. And when you come to the realization that it's not actually you, when you can lay down the burden of having to be in control over everything, when you can let God be God, let Jesus be savior, you become set free to be you to live in the moment where you are, and maybe even to start to see God's calling you to be a blessing right where you are. There's real freedom of living in faith. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, that your life will always be shaped by what's at the center of your attention. And Jesus brought that home by saying, you can't serve both God and money. And you might think, oh, money, that's not a problem for me. My money doesn't control me. But that's just it right? Because in our world, the word money is just shorthand for control, right? Because why do we pursue money? Because we think having it will mean that we'll have worth, value, respect. We'll have control over our own lives. But when we put our control on the throne of our lives without even realizing it, we're locking ourselves into the worst kind of slavery to the worst kind of master. Because when we make what we can control, where our value, where our worth, where our happiness comes from, it leads to an enormous amount of anxiety and stress because our worth is always going to depend on what we do tomorrow. Control is a slave master that can never be satisfied. So why do we keep going back to it? And what's the alternative? Well, for the first question, we're going to look at our Old Testament story and see that that tendency to want to worship the wrong things is as old as our human sinful nature. And to hear what's the alternative, we're going to look at Matthew 6 to learn from Jesus about the life that God offers us in him instead. So we're going to start in Exodus 32. It's in your Quest Bible on 1420, if you have one of those. Over the past few weeks, we've been following Moses. And we've been learning how God called him from being a shepherd in the desert to being the guy that God used to lead his people from slavery into freedom. And God parted the Red Sea and he made a way for his people where there had been no way. And he led his people by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And then, like the good father that he is, he gave us boundaries in the Ten Commandments to help us create a trustworthy world shaped by respect and love for God and for neighbor. So you would think if anyone should be able to trust God, it would be these people in this story. But while Moses is on the mountain with God for about six weeks receiving the Ten Commandments, back at camp, everything was just falling apart. Because without Moses, the people started to get anxious. They couldn't trust God to be God when they didn't have Moses who they could see. So in their anxiety, they finally went to Aaron, Moses' brother, and told him that he needed to make them a, a God that they could see. They thought, wouldn't it be great if we had a God who stay put right where we put him? <laughs> One maybe made out of our gold. And why don't you make it in the shape of our sacrifices? Because what we want is to worship what we can see, what we can control, what we own what we ourselves sacrifice. And then we'll say, this is what really got us here, where we are. Got us out of slavery into freedom. Not that God who's calling us to follow him to a new kind of life. So just think about this substitute God that they set up. This idol isn't any kind of representation of who God is. I just want to make that clear. Nobody thought the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was a cow. Nobody thought that. (laughs) No, this is a representation of what the people had to offer. Calves were the people's sacrifices. So they made an idol out of their own efforts. And how often do we do the same thing? When Moses learned that this was going on, he stormed down the mountain to confront his brother Aaron about this. What in the world do you think you're doing? And Aaron, of course, totally throws the people under the bus. He says, don't be mad at me, Moses. You know how evil these people are. They just gave me their gold, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this golden calf. I mean, what was I supposed to do? (laughs) First of all, nice one, Aaron, because the text itself even tells us he uses a tool to shape it. (laughs) And secondly, I wouldn't actually be surprised if it did. Because idols always seem to spring up in our lives with us not even realizing we're making them into idols, don't they? How often has fear or anxiety or worry taken over your life become the basis of your decisions or your actions? How often has concern about something you can accomplish become the most important thing in your mind and your heart? The thing that's at the center of why you do what you do, that's what you're actually putting in place of your God. That becomes Your idol. And all of a sudden, this ancient story doesn't seem so ancient anymore. Because the truth is, we face those same temptations. And we do what we think puts us in control because we think we want to be in control of the direction of our lives. But do we really? Do we really want to abandon the God who's leading us into a life that's bigger than us to instead hunker down and worship our own gold in the desert? see, the problem with putting what we can do on the throne of our lives is that we'll never have anything more than what's already in our power. And deep down, we know, we long for something greater. As our technology has advanced to connect us globally, we've actually become a society who experience more anxiety and more isolation than ever before. Because every second of every day, we're inundated with all of the troubles of the world, and it overwhelms us to the point where almost out of self-defense, we want to shut down and isolate. But the truth is, you were not created to be the master of the universe. It's not your job to solve all of the world's problems. And when you take God off the throne of your life, Whatever you put there instead is always going to be some form of you trying to be him. And that job will become the slave master of your life that will never be satisfied and never lead to peace. But the truth is, most things in life are not in your control. And they won't be. And no matter what anyone else thinks about your value or your worth, there is only one judge who's going to matter. And he loves you he loves you enough to want to offer you a better way in Matthew 621 Jesus teaches us where your treasure is there your heart will be also so the question is where's your heart then you're going to find your treasure and what deserves to be your life's treasure In Matthew 6, 24, he goes on to say, "'No one can serve two masters. "'Either you will hate the one and love the other, "'or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. "'You cannot serve both God and money. "'Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. "'What you will eat or drink, or about your body, "'what you will wear. "'Is not life more than food, "'and the body more than clothes?' "'And here's where Jesus gives us a picture "'of the alternatives.'" That if you're living a life running after money, running after control, you are going to live a life of anxiety. Worry will be your master. But since you can't serve both money and God, the choice is clear. Therefore, Jesus says, don't worry. You can live in the stress over what you do, or you can trust in what God does. And if the center of your treasure is the God who rescues people from slavery, who parts the sea to make a way where there is no way, who'd love you so much that he would send his only son to die for you, to be the way for you to have eternal life and worth and joy in his kingdom, why do you waste a second of your life worrying? And Jesus calls that out in Matthew six twenty-seven. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Does your fretting over turbulence keep the plane in the sky? No, it does not. Your life is in God's hands. Only he knows the number of your days. Can you find your peace in that promise? So if we're not spending all of our time worrying about us, what are we going to spend our energy on? Jesus tells us God wants to show us more than what we can see when we're only thinking about us. In Matthew 6, he says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things, the things other people spend all their time worrying about, will be given to you as well. Given what you need the most, your worth, your value, your joy, your peace, your purpose, God wants to give you, not by your effort, but as a gift of his love and his presence. And this is a very, very old spiritual journey to come to terms with this truth, learning to trust that he is the one that we need, that this is the way that it actually works, that we need God to be God for us to be free to be us. And it's a lesson that unfortunately it takes a while for people to truly get, but once we get it, it makes all the difference in our lives. Today's Reformation Sunday, this is the day where Lutherans celebrate how the Holy Spirit of God showed the truth about Jesus' saving grace to a little monk named Martin Luther about 500 years ago and how that truth transformed his life and the life of the church. You see, when Martin was a monk, his life was completely obsessed with the work of trying to make himself acceptable to God. And Martin felt to even have any kind of hope for heaven, he had to do the work of always keeping ahead of his sin by confessing them to God, because he felt one confession equals one act of forgiveness. But the problem with that was he kept on sinning. And sometimes the moment he left the confessional, he had a bad thought, and he had to turn right back around and go back in and confess that. And the more Martin tried to keep ahead of it all, the more he realized that this was impossible that to see this done, he would have to dedicate the work of his entire life to saving himself, to doing as little as possible so he could successfully avoid anything that might make God mad. And that made Luther mad, because what kind of life is that? And what kind of God is that? And if Martin knew he wasn't capable of saving himself, surely God would know that too. How could God expect that of him? And then, terrified, he'd go and confess he'd had bad thoughts about God. He tried to love God because he knew he was supposed to, but how could he? He ping-ponged back and forth between fear and anger and despair. Because the problem was, is that the God that we know in Jesus Christ was not on the throne in Martin's life. What Martin had put there without even knowing it, what he had made his master was his own ability to achieve salvation. He hadn't heard the good news yet, that that's not our job. The stress of trying to serve that master control almost killed him until his mentor sent him to read the scripture, something that Martin had never done before. And he discovered in the book of Galatians chapter 3, this verse, if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. And in Ephesians 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. All of us also lived among them at one time. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And the moment Martin realized what this was saying, that salvation doesn't come by us getting everything right, that it only comes as a gift from God that we receive completely undeserved by faith in what Jesus has done for us. He was set free, and he immediately saw that the work of his life was never meant to be to save himself. Jesus already did that through the cross, through his death and resurrection. No, instead, the work of Martin's life was not to redo what Jesus did, but to live into the truth of that good news and to share the good news that God so loved the world that he sent his only son to be the way for us. And God won't force us to be his love doesn't do that, but he invites all who will trust him to be Savior to come on board, and he will be in charge of this flight. Thank you very much. And not only is he the pilot, Jesus is also the plane itself, and you are now free to move about the cabin. That truth changed Martin Luther's life forever. He was transformed from a self-cutting monk who lived in fear and hatred about his weakness to becoming a bold and joyful and sometimes outrageous preacher of Jesus' amazing grace. And that grace was his lifeline, his most treasured possession. And even when he was threatened with death, If he didn't recant it, Martin knew he couldn't give this up. It was the center of his joy, his peace, that Jesus is the master of our salvation, and we have no hope any other way. If we give up that joy, all that's left is slavery to self, running on the hamster wheel of accomplishment and failure and relentless expectations and gradual loss and despair. But when Jesus is master, when he is on the throne we're free to hold this life loosely and look to him for the joy and the purpose in every single moment that he gives us. You see, the truth is when we let God be God, when we confess what is not our job, suddenly we have the space and ability to let him show us what is our job. What are the ways we're called to impact the world in the meantime? You see, it's not my job to stress out over whether or not the plane can reach its destination, because there's nothing I can do about that. But God might be calling me on that plane to something, to comfort my seatmate, to pray for the people in my life, to bless the day of the flight attendant, or maybe just to take a nap. Because maybe seeing my trust is going to help someone else trust and those things might have eternal consequences for someone else in ways that I'd never imagine. but I would never even entertain taking up my part until I'm able to surrender the big stuff, all the worries about myself, to the one who's actually in charge of the flight. So, beloved, this morning I want to invite you to take a moment and sincerely ask yourself this question. Who has been your master lately? Who's been in charge of your life? What has been calling the shots for you? And how's that been working for you? What golden calves do you need to cast down today to just let Jesus instead be master of your soul? And as you ponder that question to close today, I'd like to end with Jesus' words from Matthew 6. I'd like just to read the picture that he paints of what it looks like to live surrendering, leaning into the powerful love and care of the master of your souls. So I'd like to invite you to close your eyes as you receive these words for you today. Jesus said, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also no one can serve two masters you cannot serve both god and money therefore i tell you do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink about your body what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes look at the birds of the air They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? The pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Father God, where we're tempted to live in worry or control, we pray this morning that you would send your Holy Spirit into our hearts, that you would let the beautiful truth of the gift of your grace fall on us. And Jesus, let your peace fill us as we surrender to you, Lord. Lord, you fly the plane. Teach us to be yours on this journey and show us what we've been missing of all the things you call us to do right where we are as we learn to live in the embrace of your love. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.